and turn to Psalm 123. decided to break into our David series again and just do one sermon uh, on Psalm 123. I'll explain why that is in the uh, introduction to the, the sermon. Let's hear God's Word through the, the pen of the psalmist in Psalm 123. The psalmist writes, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of the Lord. We are living in a season of intense suffering for many people in our country right now. Speaking generally and broadly, we are all to some degree affected by COVID-19. We all went through and some are continuing to go through a prolonged lockdown and quarantine. It's led to uncertainty about the future. Are we going to have a, another spike uh, in the fall? Are we going to have to go back to this, uh, to some degree, some type, some form of economic shutdown? We don't know. Uh, I've seen that it creates disruption in our lives. It's impacted businesses and economies, but it also has created division. Those who insist upon uh, mask wearing and those who insist upon their right not to have a mask. And it creates divides, and I've seen it even in families uh, and even close to home. Uh, I've seen it in our church as well to some degree. Some are very cautious, others dismissive, many somewhere in between both of those positions. We are also all affected to some degree by the racial tension that's going on in our country. There are riots, there are calls for societal change, removal of monuments, changing of flags here in the state of Mississippi, and other things. Some sitting here today believe in one course of action. Others believe another course of action is needed. These are not issues that are out there uh, somewhere in, in New York or in Los Angeles. They're not just out there in America somewhere. They have come close to home here in Columbus. We all feel the weight of these issues, generally speaking. But I've noticed as your pastor, an, un, an unusually high amount of personal struggles in our congregation. Uh, 
There are people sitting here today, others who are absent because of whatever, whatever reason it may be. Uh, but there are people who are brothers and sisters and fellow members of this congregation who are going through what I would de describe as unusually difficult times. And those unusually difficult times are compounded by the weight of the general chaos that we are living in. Some are experiencing grief over the loss of a loved one. Others are dealing with unexpected but life-threatening illness. Some are confronted with marriage problems or they're walking with a family member or a friend through their marriage difficulties and they're carrying the weight, the emotional weight of those problems on their own shoulders. Some are having problems at work. I uh, had an email today or this week about a, a person who's just hit with three major things at the same time. And these aren't unusual problems for people in a church to face. But the, the weight of them is just hitting at a point in time where there is a lot of other baggage that we are carrying around both emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. And we, we come to the point of crying out like the psalmist here in verses 3 and 4. We have had more than enough. Our soul has had more than enough. Any of you feel that weight right now? I know some of you do, because you've talked to me about it. And if you haven't right now, you will at some point in your life. You can think back to times and seasons in your life where it is wave after wave after wave, and you say to the Lord, Lord, my soul has reached its breaking point. It is at full capacity. We have had enough. What do we do when we get to that point? Psalm 123 gives us some direction. And that's why I want to preach on this psalm for us as a congregation, as your pastor today, because there are people who need to hear these things. It's a season of life, it's a time in the life of our church where people are carrying a lot of weight uh, around. As we look at the psalm, it's a very short psalm, and I just want to speak on two heads. Uh, first, look, at, look to the Lord. That's the first thing that the psalm teaches us. And then the second, have mercy. Look to the Lord and have mercy. When life becomes exceedingly chaotic and turbulent for us, whether it's nationally or personally or a combination like we're dealing with now, a combination of both. The world is chaotic and for many of us our lives are chaotic. We are called by the psalmist to lift our eyes to the Lord. We're commanded to lift our eyes to the Lord. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of the master, as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of the mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. 
reminds me of the ancient practice of celestial navigation. And I don't know uh, if you pilots are, are taught in some of these practices yourselves. I know it's not quite in the form that it, it used to be used by um, people at sea. But they, in order to chart a course on the ocean, think about it. You, you, you have the, the chaotic and the instability of the surface you're on. It's up and down. It's full of waves. And depending on how chaotic the ocean is, the waves get bigger. The swells increase. So what the uh, ancient sea navigators did to chart the course of their ship was they used a device called a sexton. Anybody heard of that? All right. And, and what they would do, they would look through the, this device and they would measure the distance between the horizon and a fixed point, a star. And based on the time of day, they could determine the direction that they needed to go on. Don't ask me for all the ins and outs of this. Um, uh, you can ask some of these Air Force pilots. They can give you a little better picture of navigating things. But the star was reliable. It was a fixed point that provided some certainty. It provided something for them to measure their course by. It was a stable point of reference. Day after day, at certain times, the star was reliably in a certain place in relation to the horizon. Sea navigation would be useless, even dangerous, if the navigator charted his course by looking down at the turbulent, turbulent churning sea. It would be impossible. And let me tell you this. It is impossible for you to chart the course of your life by focusing on the turbulent, churning difficulties in our nation or in your personal life. If that is what you're fixing your eyes on, it's going to lead to a lot of uncertainty, a lot of hopelessness, a lot of fear. Lift your eyes to the Lord. Where are we to lift our eyes to the Lord and what does it say about Him? You, we lift our eyes to you who are enthroned in the heaven. And that's an important descriptor of what our God or who our God is. He is enthroned. He is in a position of rule and power over this turbulent, chaotic mess that we live in. That is a source of comfort. For us. Our God is enthroned in the heavens. I'm so thankful that Russ got us to say the Lord's Prayer. We didn't coordinate this. You probably saw in our handoff between the offertory and the pastoral prayer that we were a little uh, off our normal game there. Um, but th we've had some changes to our service and we're still getting used to that. But he asked us to pray the Lord's Prayer. And what is the beginning of the Lord's Prayer? How does Jesus start? Where does Jesus set His direction? Our Father, who art in heaven, enthroned. He's saying this. This is who we focus on in our prayers. Our Father, who not 
He's not in the turbulent chaos of riots and of uh, uncertainty about COVID-19 viruses. He sits above all of that chaos. He reigns and rules over it. He is our heavenly Father. He is outside of the created realm. realm. He rules over it, and we are called, especially when life gets overwhelming, when we feel our soul saying, we have had more than enough. We need to look to Him. Turn to Psalm 135, just a page or two over. One thirty five, verse five, listen to the words of the psalmist here. <clears throat> he writes, For I know the certainty of faith, I know that the Lord is great. I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. He's enthroned in the heavens. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does where? In heaven and on earth. Whatever He pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deep. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from its storehouse. <clears throat> you, you know the experience. You've lived in Mississippi. I've been here uh, into my seventh year now. You know the experience of sitting in front of your television watching the weather reports because a big storm is blowing in. Do you ever get anxious during those storms? Well, isn't Psalm 135 a great place to go? Because it's the Lord who brings the wind in, and the clouds, and the thunderbolts, and the tornadoes. He is enthroned, ruling even over weather patterns all around us. Turn with me. So we see him in control of, of nature. He's in control of COVID-19. He's in control of its spread. He's in control of whether we'll have some type of a, a vaccine come fall. Turn with me now to Daniel chapter 4. <clears throat> This is the words of King Nebuchadnezzar, a foreign pagan king. And he came to experience something of the truth the psalmist is calling us to fixate our mind on. That the Lord reigns. That the Lord is enthroned in heaven and we need to look to Him. Daniel records this for us in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. It's two verses. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to where? To heaven. Interesting. He's kind of understanding this too now. I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. Now that's an interesting thing to take a, a, and pick out and make a sermon on. When I look to heaven, I have reason that returns to me. My reason returned to me. 
And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accountable or accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? That's the God that the psalmist is encouraging us to look to. Lift your eyes to the one enthroned in the heaven. But he gives us another descriptor that I think is important. Towards the end of verse 2, he says, So our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. We look to our covenant God. A God who has bound Himself to seeking our personal good. This is the God we look to in the midst of our trials and our sufferings. And I want you to hear the words of Paul from Romans 8 related to this point. We're going to look at Romans again in the next section of the sermon too, but Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or COVID-19, or racial tensions in our country, or personal issues in our lives, or our family, or our workplace. Shall any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now what is our challenge here? We get too wrapped up in our difficult circumstances. We get too consumed with the news and articles that we're reading on social media sites that tend to stir up our anger and our fear. They build anxiety in us. Now, I want to make some qualifications. I know what I'm saying. What I'm not saying here is that we just plug our hands in the sand and act like nothing's going on. Now we live in this world, we need to operate in it, we need to understand, we need to react to what's going on. But we don't need to fix our eyes on those things. We need to certainly be aware, we're, we're not in heaven yet, but as we look at those articles, as we focus and think about the trials and the difficulties in our lives, what do we do with them? We lift up. And we pray to God about them. We take them and we put them on His shoulders. We allow Him to be the ruler. We make cries to Him for mercy. The danger that we face is focusing our attention, 
our uh, thoughts about how the future is going to work out based on all of the difficulties we see. It's like navigating the ocean by looking at the waves in front of the boat. You will get nowhere that way. Lift your eyes to the Lord. Listen to these words of Spurgeon commenting on this psalm. He says, We must use our eyes with resolution, for they will not go upward to the Lord themselves, but they incline to look downward or inward or anywhere but to the Lord. You have to force yourself sometimes to look to the Lord enthroned in the heavens. The second thing I want to point out is what he's asking the Lord to do in verses 3 and 4. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. This psalm gives a description of God's people under cruel and relentless persecution. Verses 3 and 4 speak of this contempt and scorn, and then the word contempt is used again. There is bitterness, hatred, ridicule, cruelty, injustice, hurt, and abuse being thrown at the children of God. And you can see at times in their history where this psalm fits very appropriately. Their time under Egyptian bondage, very oppressive, very hopeless state, under pagan rule during the exile. When they were hated by the Jews and the Gentiles during the early parts of the New Testament recorded for us in the book of Acts. Think of the taunting of Jesus on the cross. People said to him, you could save others, but not yourself. Where's your God now? So these are common experiences for the people of God. They reached a breaking point. We have had more than enough, we're told in verse 3. Verse 4 starts off, our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Many of us today in our church feel the burden of these words. We've had more than enough. Our soul has had more than enough. What's going on spiritually and internally when we get to this point in our life experience? Well, I think we need to remember our doctrine, our theology of sin and the fall. What, is that, what does that theology teach us that may help us better to understand what we're going through in our life experiences? We need to remember the theology that flows out of Genesis chapter 3. Our world is operating under a, a threefold curse issued from the one who is enthroned in the heavens. It's His curse placed upon His creation for the sin of Adam and Eve. And what is the curse? Well, there's three things. He curses the serpent with the curse of conflict. He tells the serpent that there will always be conflict between the seed of the serpent, the offspring of the evil one, those who are not the children of God, and the seed of the woman, those who are 
the children of God. There will always be this, this underlying conflict, and at times it's greater, at times it's less. But as long as we're in this world, there will be some conflict between the people of God and the children, the offspring of the serpent. Then he talks to the woman. There's this curse of pain and relationship strife for the woman. She will have pain in childbearing, and her relationship with her husband will be tense. There will be disruption in their relationship. And we experience these things, broadly speaking, in all manner of relationships in our lives. And then there's this curse upon the earth given to Adam. Life will be difficult. Work will be painful. From the earth, will, the earth will bring forth these thorns and thistles. Paul expresses this concern. So, so what we're responding to internally when we feel like we've had enough, it's that we're fed up with a fallen, cursed, sin-filled world. That's what we're saying. That's what we're feeling inside. And what does that mean? We want something different, right? We want what? Heaven. We want heaven. That's really what you want. It's your frustrations and your, your anger with what's going on in the world, whatever side of the spectrum you may fall on on all of the issues that are going on, what you are, are feeling is a frustration because the world is not how you know it should be, how God created it to be. You want heaven. And all those people out rioting, you know what they want? They want heaven. They do. They want justice. And they want reform to this fallen world. They may have different motives and different ideas. But it, it's interesting to me when you, you talk to someone who is maybe very uh, left-leaning in their politics, very liberal, and you start to ask them, what they want is a perfect world where there's no hunger, there's no injustice. Where is that? That's heaven. Now, they may not know how to get there or who they need to go through to get there, but they want that. There's a yearning for it. Going back to Romans 8, Paul talks about this. In the midst of our suffering, the same context that we're talking about here. In Romans 8, verse 19, or Romans 8, verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the, re for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, the one enthroned in the heavens, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You may not have put it in words that way, but that's what you're expressing in your frustrations, in your difficulties, in your cry. We have had enough. We've had enough of life under the sun. We've had enough of fallen creation. Lord, bring in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we long for. That's what the psalmist is talking about.
A cry for mercy. He repeats this word mercy several times in these last two verses. And I, I love this definition by author Pink, A.W. Pink, on what that term mercy means, especially in what we just talked about, our, our theology of the fall and of a cursed creation. When we cry out for mercy, this is what we're asking for. Mercy denotes the ready inclination of God to relieve the misery of fallen creatures. To give us a little break from the curse. That's what we're asking for when we cry out for mercy. Give us a break. Give us a chance to, to catch our, our breath. Give us a break from what the world deserves. Remember us, your dearly beloved children. We are not of this world, though we are sojourning in it. Give us a little taste of heaven. And that's what this should be. When we gather on a Sunday morning, it should be an opportunity to escape and to be refreshed and encouraged and reminded, hey guys, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes to the heavens. We need to remember also our eschatology. That's a big fancy word. It just simply means our end time hope. Our hope of the new heavens and the earth. Don't put your hope in social reform. Don't put your hope in change of policing practices. Don't put your hope in finding a vaccination for COVID-19. Now let me say something there. I'm not saying don't do anything about those things. Just kind of sit and, and live this life where you're like, oh yeah, oh, I don't worry about injustice in the world. I don't worry about viruses. I don't worry about, all I do is think about heaven. No, that's not entirely accurate. We do worry about those things. We do seek to implement some change in this world we're living in. And I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus, in that Lord's Prayer that Russ got us to pray, uh, we pray our Father who art in heaven, right? But what else do we play, pray? We pray, Thy will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. So that's why we should be very concerned about all of these things. We should work to, to get the world and society and our churches and our workplaces to conform to models of justice and equality. All of those things we do. But we never expect to reach some point of utopia here on earth where we get all of these problems sorted out. Yes, we are to fight for them, but they're not our hope. Our hope is ultimately in a new heavens and a new earth. Although we will fight to do our best to make changes that bring our societies in closer conformity to the will of God, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we will do that. We're called to do that. Scripture brings that out for us time and time again. However, the world is still under a curse. And guess what's going to happen 20, 30 years from now? 
let's say we get this vaccine for this disease and this social issue figured out, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be another disease and another vaccine that's needed and another social issue that we'll be dealing with. Isn't that the history of the world? So even if we get it figured out, God will bring something else of the curse upon us tomorrow. Because our hope is not here. We want mercy because mercy is an expression of our desire for a new heaven and a new earth. We want the final display of ultimate mercy. And that's when Christ returns, when He makes His world as He intended it to be, free of sin, free of division, free of illness, free of death. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Father, we, we pray that your word through your psalmist would speak powerfully to our people right now, would bring comfort to them. We pray that we would be spiritually disciplined enough to take our eyes off of those things that strike fear in our heart and anxiety and anger and division, that we would take our eyes off of them, not ignoring them or pretending that they're not real, but knowing that, that they're not our hope, that our hope is in heaven and in you, the one who rules and is enthroned. Lord, help us to behold our God as we're about to sing. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.